Today's guest, Amanda Ripley, is an investigative journalist for Time Magazine and The Atlantic. Her reporting on education has explored the interaction between public policy and human behavior. In 2013, she published The Smartest Kids in the World and How They Got That Way, a New York Times bestseller. Amanda's reporting has helped focus and shape the conversation in higher ed and higher ed policy. One of the biggest stories in higher ed in the past year has been the Starbucks College Achievement Plan, which offers tuition reimbursement for Starbucks employees at Arizona State University Online. Amanda has reported extensively on this story since fall 2014, and the culminating cover story titled The Upwardly Mobile Barista was published this week on TheAtlantic.com. I first spoke with Amanda in late 2014 while she was reporting on the partnership between Starbucks and Arizona State University Online. She interviewed me in the course of her reporting after having spoken with a student I'd worked with as a success coach. This will be OR Higher Ed's first ever two-part series. This episode is part one and will focus on Amanda's reporting for The Atlantic on the Starbucks College Achievement Plan and will include her thoughts on how Starbucks and ASU Online are approaching the challenges of delivering higher education in innovative ways. Coming up on OR Higher Ed. You really need these degrees, rightly or wrongly, you need these degrees to thrive. You know, I'd interview these baristas all over the country, and they all have a history with college. You know this, Dan. I mean, they all have a history, and they tend to kind of blame themselves for their situation for for the fact they haven't yet finished their degree. But when you hear enough stories, it's a systemic problem. There are these outlier universities, right, that are really trying to rethink this. Let's take as an example Starbucks in Arizona State, which is how you and I met. The things they were doing do not seem to me to be things that average colleges do as a matter of course. Universities that really take that to heart are trying to do something very different. Welcome to ORHigherEd.com's podcast. My name is Dan Adams, and I'm OR Higher Ed's founder and editor. Our mission is to enhance student outcomes through effective education policy in the state of Oregon. I'd like to start with how you became interested in reporting on education and education policy. I actually wasn't at all interested in writing about education for a long time. I avoided <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I thought that it was kind of a soft, unsolvable problem that only women got assigned to write about, and then you never heard from them again. Education was not something that people really respected very much in the newsrooms that I've worked in. And I think that's, you know, a reflection of how education is viewed more broadly in our society. And then one day I was sort of forced to write a piece about education and, you know, I realized that I'd been wrong. I was just wrong. And actually there's a lot there. It's fascinating. Um, it's, you know, not simple, but it's also not impossible to improve. And, you know, there's a lot of insanity and human uh, characters and conflicts and all the things that make for great stories. So um, it took me about, I don't know, 10, 15 years before I, <laughs> before I realized that, uh, of writing about different things. But, um, but that's, how I, that's how I eventually started doing it. And then that was in 2008. And so for seven years, that's mostly all I've uh, written about. And before that, you did reporting on human behavior, right? Right. I, I did a lot of writing on crime and terrorism and disasters and different things like that and, and how human beings respond to extreme stress and sometimes human behavior in other realms as well. But I was most interested in, in the kind of counterintuitive stories about how differently people behave from how we expect or how policymakers expect and, you know, what can we learn from that in a productive way to try to serve 
of actual humans in their actual world. So I'm curious whether you see those as separate lines of inquiry or do you see them as related in some way? That is human behavior and education, education policy. Definitely education is all about human behavior, right? How do we learn? How do groups of people um, interact? How do we, how do we treat children, how do children treat adults, how do children learn from other children. So I think education is all about human behavior. And the gap between human behavior and policy is vast in education, more so than I think in other realms. You mentioned talking with students. Your reporting consistently features the voices of students. I'm curious what you've learned from talking with students that policymakers may not know or aren't yet paying enough attention. Yeah, and it's hard because there's so many competing things and demands on people's time. It's hard to, you know, how do you prioritize this and actually learn from the results? Like, let's take as an example Starbucks in Arizona State, which is how you and I met, right? So this, this, this alliance between a very large corporation, publicly traded corporation, and a very large public university. Um, one of the things that struck me about that is that Starbucks is doing things that all companies do to try to learn if what they're doing is working. But the things they were doing, and I'll give you an example in a second, do not seem to me to be things that average colleges do as a matter of course. So before they introduced the plan to help employees at Starbucks finish college, they surveyed a large representative sample of employees to ask them if this is a benefit they actually wanted. And then once they said they did, they started designing this program in, in, with help from Arizona State, obviously, about how it would work. And then as they were going along, they kept talking to students. You know, they would do focus groups of employees and ask them what they thought of the enrollment process. And as they heard feedback, they changed what they were doing. <laughs> One of the things they heard is that, look, a lot of employees were interested, and they called up, and they talked to an enrollment coach at Arizona State, and then they realized they didn't have enough credit, so this was still going to cost them a significant amount of money, because Starbucks had put in place this barrier where you have to have two years worth of credits before you can get a full ride in this program. And, you know, they had done that for various reasons, good intentions, uh, but it was a big barrier. And a lot of people got excited. They called up. They made these first steps, sometimes a complicated decision to make because of past bad experiences with college. And then they found out, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't apply to me. You know? And so six months later, Starbucks announced that they were going to open it up to everybody. So whether you have 20 credits or zero credits or 60 credits, you basically can get your whole education for free if you work at Starbucks or Arizona State. So you know, for a large company at a large university to change like that based on student feedback that quickly suggests that it's possible for everyone to do that, right? <laughs> I mean, once they made that decision, Arizona State and Starbucks had to renegotiate an agreement. There's lawyers involved. There's PR people. There's all manner of barriers to getting that done. <laughs> but it was a priority, and so they just did it. They've done some interesting things here, but it does prove that it is possible to get feedback from students and change structurally what you're doing, not just, you know, not just around the margins, but structurally. I've heard you talk about asking the right questions in relation to your reporting, and I'm curious from your perspective, who is asking the right questions right now in higher education? There are these outlier universities, right, that are really trying to rethink this and are not getting stuck on traditions or old old habits. I think, you know, Franklin and Marshall, uh, Georgia State University, 
um, Arizona State University, I think the kind of coaching that you and your colleagues do, I think universities that really take that to heart are trying to do something very different. So really asking the question, what, what is it that we're doing <laughs> that's, that's leading students to drop out instead of just assuming that it's out of your control? Um, you know, there's a consultant that I talked to for the story who for years and years has been going around trying to help colleges improve their retention rate. And one of the things he tells them is train your employees to say hello to students on campus. That's it. <laughs> I mean, obviously that's not it. But that's one simple thing that costs nothing. What people want is they want to feel like they're part of the community, right? And they want to feel like they're not on their own, just hanging there in the wind waiting to be like, either bankrupted or, or humiliated <laughs> through some kind of academic ritual. And so this is, you know, this is something that Starbucks understands, right? Like you go in there, I mean, I used to work at Starbucks years and years ago. You gotta, you're trained to greet a customer pretty quickly and say hello, <laughs> you know? But it's not, it's not the way most colleges have worked because there's been no reason for them to focus on, on kind of day-to-day -day service. That's just not how they were set up. So one of the things we touched on earlier that I do want to just come back to and make sure we have time to talk about it is, is some of that connection between um, the P12 system and the higher education system. It, it sort of follows your reporting, right, that you started with um, human behavior and responses to stimuli, then you looked at education primarily in the P12 system, and now you're, you're working at higher education. I'm, I'm curious if there's anything you've seen in terms of commonality of challenges or commonality of responses um, to, to delivering education in an effective way for students who are trying to navigate a complex system with virtually infinite um, qualifications and challenges that, that students nationwide bring with them. Yeah, you know, one of the striking things to me was how similar the challenges are of higher ed when compared to K through 12. You know, because I had mostly worked in a K through 12 space as a writer, and it's a totally, it's often, it's totally different researchers, different jargon, uh, different words even, you know, that that are used in those two spaces. But it's really the same problems, right? Like there's, there's really, it's the same challenge. Um, how do you help? people thrive in a modern economy that changes really fast? How do you help them learn to learn and, and be nimble and, and persevere? And they're the same challenges. How do you do it at scale? How do you do it in a sustainable way? Um, before I started working on this Starbucks piece, I thought, you know, as a, as a smug journalist, I thought I kind of knew why people dropped out of college. I thought there were two reasons. You know, I thought it was because they were, you know, the money or because they were academically unprepared. And clearly those two are two big reasons, right? But there's this third thing that I had totally undervalued, which was they don't finish college because college is not designed to be finished. You know, they repeatedly encounter these kinds of almost like DMV level obstacles <laughs> and barriers. The that higher education. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, I, and it's sort of like, well, it's always been that way, right? I mean, I, I dealt with it, you dealt with it. But the thing is, you really need these degrees, rightly or wrongly, you need these degrees to thrive. And you have to get them while you're working full time often. Maybe when you have a kid or other obligations, you cannot wait four hours at the financial aid office. Like, that's not a reasonable expectation of service. And, you know, you cannot 
run an institution that takes a ton of money from people and then not have enough spots in the required classes that they have to take to graduate. <laughs> that's, that, that kind of thing is just nonsense, you know, but it happens all the time and students you know, I interview these baristas all over the country, and they all have a history with college. You know this, Dan. I mean, you know this better than I do. They all have a history. And it, once you kind of get them to tell you, oh, well, I was at this place, and I dropped out, and I tried again, and they tend to kind of blame themselves or their situation for, for the fact they haven't yet finished their degree. But when you hear enough stories, uh, you know, it's also it's a systemic problem. Like these are people dropping classes, and then turns out the university lost that form and assumes that they were still in the class, failed them, and is charging them for it. And now they can't qualify for one of their grants because they failed class, right? So that kind of thing, when you already don't have a lot of people in your life who went to college, and you already have a lot of obligations, I mean, it's irrational to stay if that's the system that you're paying money into. I'm curious. Do you listen to This American Life? Yes, I love This American Life. Did you listen to the one called Three Miles, where they're reporting on students' challenge making it from high school to college yeah. and kind of sticking when they got to college? Yeah, I, right. I did. I did hear that. Yeah. I don't know if I've heard anything that better captures um, the challenges that real students face and. You're right. Money is a big one, and the labyrinth of support systems that are there for you know to, for great purposes is is another one, um, and and the confidence that the rootedness that students do or don't feel that they belong at at the institution, um, I think is such a huge one. It's one you and I talked about, you know, in relationship to the Arizona State uh, Starbucks reporting that you did. I, I think. There's no way to overestimate the importance of a student feeling like they belong and feeling like they're capable of succeeding um, on the student's eventual belonging and eventual success. Uh, I, I cannot recommend that podcast enough. I, I think it's one of the smartest things I've ever heard anyone say on I agree. Yeah, what impacts real-life students getting from acceptance to graduation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, uh, a woman that I used to work with at the Atlantic who now works for D.C. public schools, and she was a teacher, and, you know, two of her students got into Arizona State when she was teaching, and, you know, they were so excited. This was, you know, probably five or six years ago, and they were so excited. And uh, one day when she was now, she left, she was at the Atlantic, and she got a call. It turns out they were downstairs in the lobby, and they came because they wanted to know how to, how they should get to college. You know, like they needed help booking a flight, they needed to know where to go once they got there. They had no one, you know, no one was holding their hands for this. And, you know, once they got there, they called her, they knew where to go. So, on the one hand, you know, from a position of privilege, you could say, well, what's wrong with them? Can't they just figure it out? You know, can't they just, obviously they're not ready for college. On the other hand, these are kids who had overcome unimaginable obstacles. To, to get that acceptance letter. You know, they had dealt with uncertainty, stress, violence, poverty in some cases. And, and they had done more than many people in a more privileged world do by the time they were 30. By the time they were 18, they had done that. But, you know, they needed more help than they got to, to feel like they belonged and to know where to go and to see the signposts. <laughs> One of the things I learned from my own college experience was um, the ability to 
know myself well enough to accurately understand where I was and the ability to be vulnerable and to, to be able to mm -hmm. say, I need help. <laughs> I am not yeah. learning as much as I could. I'm not achieving the goals that I set for myself. I need help. Like that, that for yeah. me was one of the biggest things that happened, you know, in my own growth. Yeah, and, and, and that does speak to a broader problem that transcends K-12, higher ed, whatever, uh, that everybody needs to work on, right? And, and that's like, you know, a mindset. How, how do you, when you're struggling academically, what does that mean, you know? In, in some countries, kids have been trained to believe that if they're struggling academically, it's because they need to work harder and get more help. That's it. There's no more. That's it. And so if you believe done that, then... one year in one of those... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, if you believe that it's just a function of getting more help and working harder, um, you know, you may, you may end up working a lot, but <laughs> you will feel maybe more comfortable asking for a tutor, right? Because that's the mindset. Whereas a lot of kids in the States and some other countries are trained to believe that if they're starting academically, it's because they're not very smart. And that shuts down that whole avenue, right? Like there's no, why would you make yourself vulnerable and reveal that, that you're struggling? Because then it just lets everyone know you're dumb. And there's nothing you can do. And especially when we know that imposter syndrome, the, the, sen the felt sense that like everyone deserves to be here but me, like I am the mm -hmm. one who may be found out because of the, the weaknesses that I have. Um, like, yeah, I mean, th there's a huge connection between, I think, feeling a member of the community feeling capable of being successful among that group of peers and eventually being successful. Right. Uh, and it, it's amorphous, right? It's hard to put your finger on. But it's like you, just, you should assume that a good percentage of students come to campus in a closet. Like they're afraid to be outed, right? They're afraid to be outed as an imposter, like you said. And that feeling brings with it all kinds of uh, baggage, you know, and uh, even Tom, we talked about Tom who went from Pennsylvania to Poland as an exchange student. You know, this was a pretty high achieving kid. He had an intact family. He didn't come from a ton of money, but he was definitely, you know, had all of his needs taken care of. And he gets to Vassar in a very elite university, and he had a lot of confidence already going in. But right away, he noticed there were these kids from prep schools in his classes who we're alluding to sort of Greek mythology and like Latin literary phrases that, you know, just offhand, just as a matter of course, that he didn't know. Even in the, even in Tom, like struck this real insecurity. Like maybe I maybe I've just been kind of uh, faking it. You know, maybe I don't actually deserve to be here. And he luckily for him he had enough support and confidence to kind of push through and find out that he, he did deserve to be there and that he could learn the Latin references and it wasn't that big of a deal. Amanda, is there anything else that you'd like to have a chance to cover in our conversation today or, or things that listeners might be looking out for from you uh, in the weeks, months ahead? Well, I think one of my concerns about this story is that you know, people who read The Atlantic um, and who hear about this story, a lot of them did go to college and they did complete college. And they had a lot of support in doing that, sometimes without even realizing it, right? Like I know I speak for myself when I say I, I don't think I was aware. I didn't feel like I had a lot of support, but but I did, you know, and it, it, sometimes it's like the cumulative effect of years and years of, you know, doing well in school or years and years of parents telling you you're going to go to college. But there's a lot of ways that you have support. And, and I fear they'll read a story like this and think, Oh, you know, college is for everyone. These Starbucks kids, obviously, some of them just aren't ready. They don't have their act together. They should, you know, we don't need to coddle students um, with coaching and the kinds of services that 
that I'm kind of advocating in this piece. So I, I guess you know one of the challenges is is to change the mindset of, of the public to have more empathy for what students are actually up against in the modern world, and to understand that you know if you hire someone to help do your taxes, well maybe maybe a student might need a little advice filling out the financial aid forms because they're similar. You know, I mean there's there this is not like um it's not your grandfather's college experience. This is uh this is a new world in which a degree is more valuable than it ever was and it's more valuable in this country than any country in the world. The absence of a degree is is more devastating financially in this country than in many, many countries. And meanwhile students are trying to do this at a much, much higher price point while also struggling with lots of inconsistent backgrounds in their own education and in some cases poverty and other problems. So I, I hope you and I and everybody else can help uh, tell more stories about the tremendous capacity of students to persevere with some common sense support. I mean that's you know, I found that the kind of coaching you were providing Mary, this is a story, is the kind of thing that I could use in my own life and that every student should have. And if they're getting it from their parents, great. If they're not, then they need to get it some other way. But I really came away from that experience feeling like, you know, we need to reset how we think about what college is for and how it goes. I was waiting for a chance to jump in and say, if this higher ed policy website doesn't work for me, maybe I'll hang a sign on the door that says, Dan Adams, life coach to education reporters, and we could... <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I would totally sign up for that. <laughs> no, seriously, I feel like the coaching that you and your colleagues do, to me, was the biggest surprise of this whole story, which I'm working on for, like, ever. I could have written a lot about, uh, you know, technology and online schooling and um, all the different ways that Arizona State tries to use technology to differentiate and customize learning and blah, blah, blah. And, I could have read a lot about tuition and all the different ways that Starbucks was trying to lower tuition and and make it more sustainable. But that and that's all important. I mean, don't get me wrong. But the thing that really left me dazzled was the coaching. You know, I had no idea how impactful it could be when done thoughtfully and how wonderfully human it was. I mean, these students are all going to school online, and yet they have this human connection with their coaches that is is all about that community, that sense of belonging we were talking about. So I think a lot of people, especially older people, feel like, uh, well, you know, going to school online, you lose so much, it's not the same thing. Like, they just kind of dismiss it. And it's not the same thing. But there's a potential for great human relationships and a real sense of community. This, this kind of support and coaching is, is exciting. And, and I hope that other people uh, feel that excitement when they read the piece. HigherEd.com's mission is to enhance student outcomes through effective education policy in the state of Oregon. The website features a monthly podcast with policymakers and analysts, aggregates the best of what's written about higher ed policy in Oregon and around the country, and publishes original white papers. Our website is www.orhighered.com, and we're on Twitter at orhighered. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or any podcasting app. While you're there, please help others discover the podcast by leaving a rating and a review. 